This podcast contains graphic or mature material. Depictions of murder, violence, and death are discussed in detail during this podcast. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back. We are the Cold Case Crew, and we are a group of friends who have gotten together to take a look at some of the oldest cold cases around in hopes of bringing new life to a decades-old story that has sadly been silenced by time. My name is Whitney. It's Ashley. And I'm Beth. This week, we will be throwing it back. Way back. 75 years, to be more specific. The year was 1947, and the victims? Two prominent Beckley citizens in the throes of a romantic tryst. But these two people were not married. At least, not to one another. The scandal that followed has remained to this day, and has evolved into a local urban legend of sorts. This is the story of the murders of Nellie Rand and Elmer Ray Bailey, better known as the Black Knight Country Club murders. We're going to be doing things a bit differently for this particular episode. We have with us today a special guest who is a local historian and Rand Bailey enthusiast that will be hopping on the pod to shed some additional light on the mystery surrounding this case. We would like to welcome Patrick Parker to the crew. Thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me, guys. This is definitely going to be an interesting, interesting case. In 1947, the city of Beckley, West Virginia, was much different than it is today. West Virginia was in a state of economical prosperity. The coal industry was booming, and the population of Raleigh County sat at around 96,273 per the 1950 census. In an era of time where family values were held to a higher standard, the murder of Nell Rand and Ray Bailey did more than send shockwaves throughout the community. The torrid affair, though rumored in whispers among the Beckley elite, hit the rumor mill and generated an aftershock of speculation in the months that followed. Who had killed Nellie Rand and Ray Bailey and why? You know, this has been huge around this area for years. Nellie Mae Rand was born Nellie Mae Combs on July 3rd, 1908 to Mr. and Mrs. W.D. Combs in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. She was also known by many friends and acquaintances by her nickname, Nell. So there will be times where I use the names interchangeably throughout this podcast. She had one sister, Helen, and three brothers, Raymond W., Dixie, and Philip. As a young girl, Nell and her family moved to the town of Welch, located in McDowell County, West Virginia. Now, despite what it has become today, Welch was extremely prosperous during the heyday of coal. To those who knew her best, Nell was described as vivacious and flirty, two traits that often go hand in hand with vulnerability and insecurity. Nellie was a beautiful young woman who always seemed to aspire to more never quite fulfilled with the hand life dealt her. In 1924, at the age of 16, Nellie dropped out of school, taking a job as a waitress in a local restaurant. She soon married P.B. Anderson, the son of a prominent official at a McDowell County coal company, though the marriage would be short-lived. As word began to spread about the union, Anderson's family intervened, ultimately having their marriage annulled and sending P.B. away. It would be another five years before Nell would meet and marry dentist Kenneth K. Rand on July 9th, 1929. Three years after their union, the pair moved from Welch to Beckley, West Virginia. They settled down at 1532 Harper Road with their two daughters, Kyra and Carolyn. Rand had a prosperous dental practice in downtown Beckley, located in the New Lilly Building, while Nell busied herself with involvement in multiple charitable organizations, including the Beckley Women's Club. Together, the family were members of the First Baptist Church. KK showered Nell with tokens of his affection, including two diamond rings, which were estimated to have been over a carat each in size. Nice. That's an amazing gift for the 40s as well. He definitely loved Nell. 
But despite the outward appearance of a seemingly Kodak perfect family, Nell's insatiable appetite for more was ever present, which often led to salacious affairs with some of Buckley's most prominent citizens. Giving her charming nature, her effervescent personality, it has been said that Nell had men lined up to engage in a fling with her, and KK had often caught her in the company of other men. In the months leading up to the events of November 4th, 1947, KK had confronted Nell about one such affair with the manager of the Beckley Hardware's company, Elmer Ray Bailey. Having had enough of his wife running around on him, KK threatened divorce if Nell did not promptly cease the affair. Nell assured him that she had ended it promptly and finally. Elmer Ray Bailey was born June 19, 1897 to Charles Henry Bailey and Anise Irene Hurt Bailey in Beckley, West Virginia. He had two sisters and one brother. Unlike Nell Rand, there is not a lot to be known about Ray's upbringing. We do know that Ray fought in World War I and was discharged in 1919. On November 11, 1921, he married Irene Martin, and together the pair had two daughters, Daisy Dean and Diane. Like the Rands, the Baileys were also members of the Black Knight Country Club, where Ray enjoyed golfing. The family resided at 106 Johnstown Road. Together, they were members of the First Christian Church of Beckley. It is known that the relationship between Irene and Ray was fraught with trouble. In the year before his untimely death, Ray was said to have moved out of the family house and into his own residence for a stint of time. He had only moved back in in October 1947, the previous month, in anticipation of his daughter's upcoming nuptials. November 4th, 1947 started off like any typical day for both parties. It was notably a cold and rainy day. Around 12 p.m., Nell arrived at a local beauty parlor to have her hair professionally waved and set. While at the salon, she chatted with other women and expressed that she would be attending a bridal shower that evening. She then proceeded to a local department store where she purchased two pieces of china in the print that was requested by the bride-to-be. One piece from she and KK and another piece to be a gift from her sister, Helen, who at the time also resided with the Rands. Around 5 p.m., Nell spoke with KK and learned his plans for the evening. After work, he planned to attend the Lions Club meeting, which was set to take place between 6 and 8 p.m. before catching a movie, Desert Fury, at the Lyric Theater around 9 p.m. Nell agreed to pick KK up on Main Street at 11 p.m. As for Nell, after returning home from her hair appointment, she ate dinner with her sister and family before proceeding to get ready for the bridal shower, which was scheduled to start at 8 p.m. She dressed in a blue silk dress, the two one-carat diamond rings on her fingers, a necklace of rhinestones, and a new gray coat with a fur collar. Around 7 p.m., Nell called the Black Knight Country Club to inquire if Mr. Bailey was there and was informed that he was not at that time. She left her residence at 7.30 p.m., never to return. Now, this is interesting that Nell would have called the Black Knight Country Club to inquire if Mr. Bailey was there and was informed that he wasn't. Don't you wonder if that was a usual thing for her? Because... Yeah, you would think if they were... Well, I can tell you that in my time at Black Knight, there were times that women called and there were some people the bartenders and waitresses knew to tell the truth to and there were some that they were told to tell lies to. So Scandal continues, especially considering Mr. Bailey's gambling problem. When Ray Bailey returned home from work that same day, November 4th, 1947, he too had dinner with his family. His wife, Irene, recalls that he spoke of purchasing a new radio that evening. Following dinner, Ray showered, shaved, and expressed that he would be returning to the hardware store to finish up some lingering work. With $400 in hand, Ray left his residence around 6.30 p.m. He was spotted next around 7.30 p.m. at a gas station at the corner of South Kanawha Street and Johnstown Road, where an attendant filled up his tank. It is known that Bailey paid for gas with a $10 bill and received change back. 
The attendant has since cooperated this exchange and the time it occurred that fateful evening. So did his wife know he had $400 on him? Yes, I believe so. It's a little bit of money for the 1940s, especially coming out of the Depression. Would that be around a grand or two in today's money? I would assume so. so something similar. Yeah. Shortly before 8 p.m., Nell parked her blue 1946 Chrysler Commodore along an access road behind the Black Knight Country Club. Shortly after, she was joined by Bailey and his Buick. This road, known to locals, was a common lover's lane at this time, and there was no doubt the pair had acquainted at this location on many nights prior. The pair were entangled within the back seat of Bailey's Buick, clearly too busy to notice the gunman who approached holding a 38 caliber weapon. Three shots rang out, two of which were fired with precision and struck both Bailey and Rand in the head, shattering the skulls. Bailey died immediately, but there has been some speculation as to whether Nell was able to attempt to flee the vehicle following the shooting. There were reports of blood on the tail of Rand's vehicle, as well as a spot of blood on the pavement nearby where authorities would ultimately find her wristwatch. The time was stopped precisely at 8.15 p.m. It's also stated, however, that Nell was shot at such close range that the gunshot residue could be seen around the entry point on the right cheek. The bullet that entered Nell traveled downward and exited out her left shoulder. Bailey, on the other hand, was struck slightly above the left ear with the bullet exiting through the right side of the head. At this point, it is presumed that the gunman slipped into the driver's seat of the Buick and proceeded to dispose of the bodies in Bailey's car. Okay, but there was blood on the pavement nearby, so that's why they think maybe she possibly tried to get out of the vehicle. There's no way he could. He was literally shot in the brain. He was dead once he was shot, but she may have still been alive and could have possibly tried to get out, and so maybe she was shot again. Said three shots. There was GSR on her cheek cheek then that was close range Mm -hmm. very close range am i right about that patrick that's very close range for that kind of weapon however maybe the first shot went wild because that second shot with precision it would have hit nail would have went into her cheek down and through her shoulder so maybe she didn't die instantly maybe she bled out Mm -hmm. which is very possible especially since they found blood on the tail of bailey's car and her wristwatch he would have been taller or the person would have been taller too right Yeah, well, they would have been down in the vehicle. And he would have shot upwards. Gotcha. Following the conclusion of the movie, K.K. Rand traveled by foot to Main Street to await Nell to pick him up. When she had failed to arrive by 11.30 p.m., he accepted a ride from a neighbor, Mrs. Lorenzo Turin. Upon arriving home, K.K. became worried when he discovered that Nell had never arrived home from the bridal shower. Furthermore, K.K. learned that no one had seen or heard from Nell since 7.30 p.m. when she departed the residence. Around 12.30 a.m., K.K. began making calls to Nell's friends, as well as the residence that the shower had been hosted at. It is at this point that he learns that Nell never made it to the bridal shower that evening, and that no one knew what happened to her or where to find her. That next morning, K.K. Rand telephoned the Beckley Hardware Store and demanded to speak with Ray Bailey, only to learn that Bailey was absent and had never shown up for work. As would be a reasonable assumption given the situation, KK was under the impression that Nell had finally decided to leave him for Ray and that the pair had absconded in the night, leaving everything behind. KK then phoned the Beckley Police Department to report his vehicle and wife missing. Similarly, Ray's brother, Earl, made a report to the police for Ray and his Buick as well. 
It was noted that while en route to Coolridge, State Trooper R.L. Tapscott noted a lone automobile parked on the north side of the Raleigh ball field. It struck him as odd, but nevertheless, he continued in pursuit of the task at hand. Around 11 a.m. on his return to Beckley, the vehicle in question sat unmoved in the same spot Tapscott had witnessed it before. This time, he decided to go investigate, unaware of the gruesome scene he was about to stumble upon within the abandoned Brown Buick. Inside, a large pool of blood had coagulated on the rear floorboard of the vehicle. Bullet holes were noted in the upholstery of the back seat. Sitting atop the back window were a man's hat and a woman's purse, while a man's top coat and gray coat with a fur lining lay in the passenger side front seat of the vehicle. The windows on the vehicle had notably been left down, and the key was found in the ignition. Careful not to disrupt what was clearly a crime scene, Trooper Tapscott closed the windows of the vehicle and locked the vehicle before returning to headquarters to report his findings. I think he did probably a good thing, but he probably should not have rolled up windows, locked doors, or anything. Well, they didn't have the strict yeah, protocols that I mean, they have. It was so totally different back then, but still, I'm like, don't touch anything. You you've, know? Already co- you've already yeah. corrupted the crime scene. You've corrupted it, yes. Around the same time that Trooper Tapscott returned with news of the bloody Buick, a father and son, O.J. Goodson, arrived at the state police detachment to report several bodies they had discovered laying at the base of an embankment near the old Penman mine. Instead of investigating the situation further, the pair retreated to the state police office to report the discovery. Together, the Goodsons and several members of the West Virginia State Police returned to where the bodies had been discovered. Coroner Douglas Bryant had also been called to the scene. Atop of the embankment, a pair of women's shoes had been discovered and lay approximately six feet away from one another. Police also discovered a book of matches with all the tops burnt off from the Sycamore Inn, which was a local beer garden located between Beckley and Mount Hope, as well as a pair of ladies' undergarments. Tire tracks were also noted, which showed that the assailant had driven about 30 feet down the road before turning around and heading back towards town. Sadly, due to the heavy rains which prevailed the night before, any footprints were sadly washed away. Law enforcement did attempt to make plaster casts of the prints, but they were ultimately rendered useless. Twelve feet below, at the base of the embankment, lay two bodies, a man and a woman. The man lay face down and the woman face up, with her head resting on the lower half of the male companion's legs. Her feet were left extending out the embankment as though she had been tossed downward. Both bodies were bloodied and covered in mud. Ray Bailey was quickly identified by an identification card which was discovered within the contents of his wallet. Nellie Rand, on the other hand, required more time before a positive identification was ultimately made. The vehicle discovered by Trooper Tabscott, which was ultimately determined to have been abandoned about a half a mile away from where the murder took place, was retrieved and towed back to the state police headquarters to be thoroughly searched for clues. It is unknown what all police were able to ascertain from Bailey's vehicle, but it is known that three 38 caliber slugs were retrieved from the vehicle. Meanwhile, both sets of remains were taken to the Rose Funeral Home, where the county coroner began his investigation into the death of Ray Bailey and his unknown female companion. Around 4 p.m., a patrolman from the Beckley City Police contacted the state police offices to inform them that Nellie Rand's blue Chrysler had been discovered abandoned on an access road behind the Black Knight Country Club. As was mentioned above, a blood spot was also observed on the pavement about 20 feet away from the vehicle. Nearby lay a watch with a broken band. 
At this point, it was clear to authorities that Nell and Ray had been killed elsewhere and dumped at the location they had been discovered. So they all of a sudden are putting together that they were together where her they found her car and then someone had driven his car away yeah, because, with the two of them in it. Yeah, because there was the blood still at the scene. Yeah. Which is interesting because it rained, so I'm surprised the blood didn't wash away. Would blood wash away? I don't know. I mean, blood's going to wash away, but it just kind of depends on where it rained at. I mean, sometimes it'll rain in Beaver and down around Penman, but it won't rain in Beckley. Yeah. And that area is kind of covered with trees, too. So how much rain actually got to it? There's a lot of huge old oak trees there. It could have been a covered spot. And I'm not exactly sure which road that they were on. It's at Wright, Wright Street. Wright Road. Yes, Wright Road. It's, the, it's, the, it's the one. Yeah, there are so many trees, big trees on that road. That's the one that kind of goes around the golf course area. And it drops you off on Fayette Street. Yes. 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 The families of the two victims are interviewed in conjunction to the murders. They both soon had firm alibis for the evening. We have already discussed in detail the course of events in which K.K. Rand participated that evening. Both members of the Lions Club and Miss Tureen confirmed that the events as described by Mr. Rand. It is said, however, the police were unable to locate any witnesses who could confirm Mr. Rand's presence that night at the Lyric Theater. It was noted that he was a frequent patron of the establishment and very well could have been there. The proprietor of the Lyric simply could not confirm his presence with 100% certainty. Miss Bailey was confirmed to have been at the family residence with her daughter all evening, and it was well known that she did not drive. Both spouses acknowledged knowing about the affair, even going as far as stating that half the town knew of the affair as well. KK further stated that it was his belief that the affair was over, as Nell had assured him she had finally ended it months earlier. Apparently not. That makes me sad a little bit. It's sad for him. It kind of makes you feel sad for Miss Bailey as well, considering that Nell and Miss Bailey were both part of the Beckley Women's Club together. So having to face your husband's trollop every Well, and plus all of Beckley knew. Believe me, we all know how small Beckley is. So we know when people know things about things in Beckley. Pretty much everybody knows. Yeah. Yes. And I'm sure it was like even worse back in the day, simply because stuff like this is, this was Good gossip. Thank God there was no Facebook then. Oh, God. Police were also able to interview several witnesses who were able to help put together a timeline of events for the evening of November 4th. Reports of gunshots were heard in the vicinity of the Black Knight Country Club at around 10 minutes past 8. A group of boys who came forward claimed to have heard the shots and stated that they ran towards the noise. Coming upon the access road where the two lovers had been shot, the boys only saw the one car, Nellie's Blue Chrysler Commodore. A resident on nearby South Canal Street reported hearing the gunshots fired as well. She too confirmed the time as being around 8.10 p.m. It's also interesting that everybody heard the shots. Nobody <laughs> saw anything. And with the road being a well-known lover's lane, you have to think that there was other lovers on the lane that evening. I did kind of wonder about that. So did somebody else see it? And maybe they just don't want to come forward because they were out there with somebody else they weren't supposed to be there with? Which is probably the case. On November 11th, 1947, the Raleigh court announced a $1,000 reward being offered for any information pertaining to the murders of Nell Rand and Ray Bailey. Despite the staggering reward, which would be worth approximately 13283 in 2022, no relevant information came forward. That's a lot of money. Yeah, it is. 
There have been several possible motives discussed throughout the years surrounding the couple's murder. The first being that the word of the ongoing affair had gotten back around and being tired of Nell's wandering eyes, in part, KK had the situation remedied. Despite the fact that there is definitely room for motive, there has never been any proof that KK had anything to do with the deaths of Nell and Ray. The same could be said for Irene Bailey as well. The second theory, despite its initial denouncement, was robbery gone wrong. After interviewing the family of both victims, law enforcement quickly learned that many of the items known to have been in possession of the victims at the time of their death were missing. For instance, Nell Rand's two diamond rings, the gift that she intended on giving as presents at the wedding shower, and the 400 Ray Bailey was planning on purchasing that radio. K.K. Rand gave the following description for the diamond rings that were missing from Nellie's person. 1. A diamond ring with a stone being slightly over 1 carat, set in yellow gold. 2. A diamond engagement ring with one diamond just slightly under 1 carat, set in yellow gold. 3. A wedding band with 4 to 5 smaller diamonds set in yellow gold. These rings were valued at around $2,000, which today would be around 26574 Oh my gosh. Those are some rocks right there. A third and final theory more commonly discussed in the years that follow is the idea of a murder for unpaid debt owed by Bailey. It is well known among Beckley elite that underground gambling went on at the Black Knight Country Club, and it has been speculated that Ray Bailey owed many of men a sizable debt for which he paid the ultimate price. And it's very interesting that we're going into the murder for hire because of the mob activity that would have taken place in West Virginia and the Beckley area during this time period even before. And it is well known that there was a numbers racket going on in the top floor of Black Knight Country Club, which Bailey could very well have been running numbers. And the bookies, maybe coming up and finding out that their money had been skimmed off of, were not very happy. And depending on who was running the numbers club, whether it could have been the family of Vagabonda from Parkersburg, which later became part of the big New York crime families, or even the Irish mob out of Pittsburgh, they could have moved its way down here. Somebody very well known in the mob community during that time period could have been very upset at losing some money. And Mr. Bailey would go night-night. If Mr. Bailey had company with him when he was being taken care of, they wouldn't have cared. No. They would have just taken care of it. Yes. She would have been an accessory just like her diamond rings. There have been several suspects in the Rand Bailey murders throughout the years, though any concrete links have yet to be found. The first break in the case came when an employee from Ben's Army, a Navy surplus store, came forward to police identifying an African-American man named Vernon Mitchell, who had recently come in to pawn a diamond ring, only to pick it up the following day. Per reports, the individual worked at Black Knight Country Club, which would have given him easy access to the scene of the crime. When he was brought in for questioning, however, Mitchell had a firm alibi for the evening of the murders. Authorities did bring Mitchell up to Morgantown to participate in a lie detector examination, which he ultimately passed, clearing him of any potential involvement in the double murder. It would be another two years and five months before another suspect would come to the forefront of attention regarding the Rand Bailey murders. In April 1949, James Richardson, a Cleveland man who originated from Crab Orchard, West Virginia, confessed seemingly out of nowhere to the murders of Nell Rand and Ray Bailey. Richardson, who had been arrested in Cincinnati on charges of reckless driving, was extradited back to West Virginia two days later. 
and was held in the Raleigh County Jail. He proclaimed to law enforcement in Ohio shortly after his arrest, Oh, I'm wanted for killing a man and a woman in Beckley. There's a $1,000 reward for me. According to statements, Richardson claimed to have shot Bailey and Rand with a 32 caliber pistol from the front seat while they were sitting in the back seat of their vehicle behind the Black Knight Country Club around 11 p.m. He likewise identified Penman Road as the disposal site of the remains. But despite several facts lining up, the whole of Richardson's story failed to deliver. According to the Raleigh Register, a reenactment of the murder took place, and the suspect's every act in reviewing the double slaying was at variance with the known facts. For example, Richardson was not able to correctly identify the location in which the vehicles or bodies were located. At this point, Richardson was taken back to Cincinnati and was no longer considered a viable suspect. The thing that stood out to me from that was just him saying he was in the front seat shooting into the back seat. That's not how... That's not how it happened. That's not how it happened, yeah. Now, however, if the mob was involved, maybe Richardson was a red herring. Okay, what about the 32 caliber? I thought it was the 38 caliber. That's why he would be a red herring. He wouldn't be a very good red herring, but they could yeah. have thrown him out there and said, you need to take the fall for this, and yeah. he tried and failed. Yes, and I mean, Richardson went back to Cincinnati, but we don't know really what happened to him after that, that he was no longer considered a viable suspect. But even being a red herring at that point, taking the fall for it, maybe the mob said, well, hey, screw some details up here and just kind of throw them off and see what happens. Yeah, but wonder if we ever knew of Richardson again. I wonder if he continued to live his life after that point. Or if he slept with the fishes in the Ohio River. I'm going to go ahead and open this up for commentary. This is the part of the podcast where we discuss theories and ideas about the case. Who's ready to start us off? Let's dive into the victimology of Nellie Rand and Elmer Ray Bailey. Would you consider them low or high-risk victims? What traits of theirs do you believe contribute to this classification? Personally, I would say based on the affairs that the pair had been mixed up in, it would make them at a higher risk of becoming a victim. For Ray Bailey specifically, the fact that he had been mixed up in dealings of underground gambling, I feel like that would catapult him more of a higher risk victim than say Nellie Rand, though Nell had multiple liaisons and had a laundry list of people. It doesn't necessarily put a target on her back specifically though, but it would widen the possibility for a potential motive in a crime had she been intended target. I kind of feel like she was just there and he was the target and he couldn't have been a target if he were in Black Knight gambling. I mean, nobody was going to walk into Black Knight Country Club and just shoot someone and take off. At least I would hope they wouldn't. So I kind of feel like that somebody maybe was watching him, saw that he left to go meet her, and she was just with him, and so she ended up... Well, let's backtrack on this, though. This is interesting. So he was not at the Country Club at 7.30 when Nell called. However, Nell calling Black Knight 
may have indicated to someone at Black Knight that he was going to be there. Triggered it, yes. And they knew where to find him. That was a trigger, yes. I agree in that as well, and I believe maybe that Bailey, after his late night tryst with Nell, would have ventured up to the third floor of Black Knight and believe that $400. Oh, absolutely. Or maybe doubled it. Who knows? Depending on how much he could skim. Then he could have bought a better radio, maybe. Possibility. I mean, radios during the 40s, I mean, they're going to be an expensive piece of home equipment back then because they don't have a TV. At this point, the, the television has not been... But but are they $400 expensive? Well, probably not $400 expensive. I think probably just got a little brand. bit extra out. So knowing what we know about the pair, what do you believe the motive of the crime to be? And pressing on that further, who would have said motive? Well, the spouses would definitely have a motive. I mean, if half the town knows that you're having an affair with you know somebody else, that's... It's in your garden club. Yeah, especially in your garden club. And it's going to eventually blow up, but it's just going to cause shame on both families 100%. You know, why don't you keep your affairs in order? You know, looking at it from the perspective of a man in the 1940s, Dr. Rand should have kept Nell in her place at, at this point. Or kicked her to the curb. Or kicked her to the curb. Well, he did threaten that, though, didn't he? He did. He did threaten it. However, 1940s, if this all comes out again, I mean, he's going to be looked at as less of a man because he didn't keep his affairs in order. I agree. When I originally looked into this case, that's what I believed the motive to be. I thought it was a scorned lover, that that was the driving force behind the crime. But I personally never thought K.K. Rand or Irene Bailey pulled the trigger. When I just looked at it, not knowing anything about gambling or whatever, I thought he had the money. He placed a hit on her for being a floozy. But I think that that night, he thought everything was okay with him because he told her, if you keep this up, I will divorce you. So I think he thought everything was fine. She was going to a bridal shower. So that's why I'm not... Okay, what kind of bridal shower is at 8 p.m.? I was thinking the same thing. Well, back in the day, who knows? I know that there was one because he called the bride and stuff. But like to me, that's like a flag right there. I'm like... Yeah, well, first of all, bridal showers should be like around noon. noon. Or one, yes. In the 40s, a bridal shower is going to be more like a a bachelorette kind of party. With that being said, though, I definitely feel learning about Bailey's dealings. I tend to lean towards the motive being a hit where Bailey was the intended victim and Nellie Rand was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Which was our next question. Let's dive into the possibility of this crime being a hit. What information do we have that supports this theory? Well, you have the underground numbers racket that's being ran out of White Mountain Country Club, which is extraordinarily illegal in the 1940s. You have moonshiners running around. There's organized crime galore in this city during the 1940s that people don't talk about. And we also have to remember that it was very, very prosperous in the 1940s. Oh, extremely prosperous. Well, I mean, just looking at the population of Raleigh County was huge at this time. So, you know, there was a lot of prosperity going on in this county. Oh, 100%. So, you have that. Plus, you have Bailey leaving his house with $400 in cash. A sizable sum in the 1940s. So, And he was only a manager of a hardware store. Exactly. The manager of a hardware store with $400 in cash. That's quite a bit of money. So, is this money that he has? Did he pull this out of his account? Or is that money that he's skimmed off this numbers racket? I can't imagine him having it in his account because he had a daughter that they were paying for a wedding for. 
Well, and did he take it from the hardware store? Right, that's something to consider as well. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like just from my takeaway of Bailey, it seems like they kind of lived beyond their means, that they tried to portray themselves as very affluent and highly regarded members of the community. And they They were keeping up with the Joneses. Keeping up with the Rands. There you go. Well, and that's kind of a Beckley theme, to be honest with you. That's been Beckley for many, many years. So that would not be unknown. Finish us off. Let's discuss the means and opportunity of the crime. Who, if anybody, do we believe possesses these traits? Means basically means the ability to carry out the offense. I mean, like I said earlier, a hitman would have both means and opportunity or a scorned bookie. Basically, like I said earlier, I feel that Nellie Rand calling and saying, hey, is Ray Bailey at the country club? I feel like that was just a... Pandora's box. Like a siren to them of, oh, our man's coming this way. Yes, and as soon as that call came into Black Knight, you know that the staff of Black Knight is going to be reporting to those bookies upstairs. Because... The upstairs section of Black Knight, a lot of people don't realize this, but that was rooms, apartments, underground gambling, where members could take anybody up there. Guests. Companions. I bet Nellie had been in those rooms before. Like another lover's lane. Lover's lane upstairs. We've all said this, KK Rand and Irene Bailey, they definitely have the motive, but I don't think either of them possess the means or the opportunity to carry the offense out. I agree with you. I think they're both very innocent in this whole thing. And I actually think that Nell was innocent as far as being murdered. She was doing something that lots and lots of people do all the time, which is not as cause for murdering you. But I don't exactly think that she was target of the murder. I really don't. No, I agree. Yeah, she's definitely an innocent bystander in this respect. And the reason that I believe that wholeheartedly is going from the beginning of the evening when Bailey left his house all the way to when the murders happened. If you look at this logically, and you look at this from, from a historian's point of view today, everything points back to it being an organized hit from the three shots which are execution style, to where the vehicles were dumped, to where the bodies were dumped. It's all in kind of one straight line from the country club. Like a stage. Yes, like a stage. It's interesting because of these facts that we're looking at today. And you look back, you can almost play out the entire evening in your mind. But we do know today that both of them were caught up in some very bad dealings. Well, I just think it's a really, really sad story, to be honest with you. I think a lot of family in the Beckley area have suffered because of what happened to these two many, many years ago. And I hate that for the families. But I would like to just have closure for this to know exactly what happened. And I'm scared that that's never, ever going to happen because it's such an old, old. But that aside, the family member of that Tapskit, who is now deceased as well, by the way, but from what I understand, he believed he had solved the crimes and was receiving death threats. Yeah, he wrote the book, right? He wrote a book. Yeah, but the book never came out. Yes, and we don't know where that book is to this day. No. But obviously somebody still is alive or is a descendant of somebody that knows something. And So when were these last death threats? Oh, I feel like 
all this came out maybe in like 2008. Does that sound about right? It's around 2008, 2009, somewhere around the last part of the, uh, the 2010s. But closure for this case, it's it needs to happen, but it's never going to happen because of some of probably the, the high society family members that are still in the Beckley area that possibly had family members during the 40s that, that had trysts with Nell Rand, and they don't ever want that to, to come out in the public eye. It has been 75 years since the lives of Nellie Rand and Ray Bailey were suddenly taken and the case is still cold. This is not an active investigation. If you or anyone you know has any information regarding the murders of Nellie Rand and Ray Bailey, contact us at coldcasecrew00 at gmail.com. We would love to hear what your thoughts are on the case and what stories you might have been told of Nellie and Ray throughout the years. This concludes our two-part hometown horror series, but don't worry, we'll be back next time with a case straight out of our capital city, the 2006 disappearance of Melanie Matheny. Do you have a case that you would like covered on our podcast? Send us an email at coldcasecrew00 at gmail.com and let us know who you would like to hear about next. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe to the Cold Case Crew. What's your theory?